You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi everyone, Samin here. Welcome to Informed. I'm sat here with Joe Ogborn on the other end of Zoom. Hi Joe. Hello Alec. And on another end of Zoom, Dan Hayter. Hi Dan. Hiya. Dan's part of the Relational Mission family of churches based up in Peterborough. And um, we're talking today about models of the atonement. In other words, how we try to understand what's going on. How is it that Jesus incarnation and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, his second coming, how is it that that brings benefit to us and to the whole of creation? Um, And uh, particularly common way of talking about that is the idea of penal substitutionary atonement. Um, Dan, what do we mean when we say penal substitutionary atonement? So penal substitutionary atonement in in basic terms would mean that there is a there is a punishment that is deserved for our sins um, and that Christ in some way took that punishment upon himself. Um, that I think in very basic terms is what we would mean by penal substitutionary atonement. People would tease that out in slightly different ways, but I think that would be the broad encompassing idea yeah and so the end result is that we if we trust christ don't face that punishment yeah absolutely yeah yeah um so this is very common but there's some there are some more helpful ways and some less helpful ways of articulating it right joe (laughs) turn to me (laughs) yes um there's no doubt that penal substitution atonement has come under fire for lack of a better word from various theological quarters um work language like cosmic child abuse or people um, taking perhaps issue with the view of a father kind of inflicting punishment on a son, and that punishment looks like the cross. Um, and I, I think it's fair to say that to some extent, those criticisms have come out of a caricature of penal substitution atonement. And I think if you were to ask those who are supporters or write a lot about it, they would equally not want to use the language of cosmic child abuse uh, to describe it. Mm. It, it um, the 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 cosmic child abuse language perhaps unearths a, a weak um, view of how important the Trinity is, right? Dan, do you want to help us with that? Yeah, so I, I think the I, I think it's rooted probably in a, in a couple of weaknesses. I think one of them is uh, this idea that Christ is somehow a third party. And I think we'd all agree if you've got someone who's committed murder and the judge says, well, you deserve death, but I'm going to grab some random person from off the street and they're going to be executed instead of you. We'd all agree that's a miscarriage of justice. And I think that's sometimes the way that people would think about it. But I think when you have a, 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 a healthy understanding of the Trinity and the incarnation, you realise that Christ isn't actually a third party. He is fully representative of human uh, of humanity, but he's also fully representative of uh, of God. He's, he's fully man and fully God. So I think that's one of the uh, one of the mistakes that people can make is the idea that Jesus is a third party. He's he's not. He, he's it's not like we're just grabbing some random person off the street. And I think another thing is to realise that when we have a good understanding of the the Trinity, is that uh, what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit want is the same thing. Theologians talk about the idea of there being one will in God. Um, and that's that's really important because what that means is when the Father um, crushes or punishes the Son, whatever language we might use from Isaiah 53, for example, um, that isn't an, 
the the son isn't an unwilling victim in that particular it's not like the father has kind of i don't know tied up his hands and forced him onto the cross um the son is laying his own life down uh, and so i think that's that's a, a couple of misunderstandings that if we have a healthy understanding of the incarnation and of the trinity we realize jesus isn't a third party He's central to both the divine and the human um, element. And also, this isn't Jesus doing stuff against his, his, his will. Actually, there's one will within God, which means that the Son is, uh, the son is willing that this happen, um, just in the same way that the Father and the Spirit are willing that this happens. Yeah, Joe, do you want to add anything on that? Yeah, I think it's actually really helpful to look at, obviously, people look at Abraham and Isaac and then look at, cross and i think the difference would be in isaac he's totally unaware of what's going on (laughs) you know and i think that's a really helpful thing to 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 bring out is the full agreement between the father son and holy spirit of of what what's going on at the cross yeah yeah um for for many people um substitution or penal substitutionary atonement jesus suffering so that we don't suffer the consequences of our sin is is really a a key key big part some would say the most important part of our understanding of what's going on in the atonement um but it's not the only way the bible talks about it or even the most common way that the bible talks about it um joe what would you see as more common in the new testament wow that's a big question i I definitely would hold to the opinion that the penal aspects are less in scripture than we think they are. So I think most people refer to Isaiah 53 as being kind of the passage where we might see elements of penal substitutionary atonement. But in the New Testament, there's a lot of language given to Christ dying for our sins, Christ dying to give us eternal life, to justify us apart from the law. And a lot of the emphasis is more of what has been accomplished, not necessarily the mechanics of how it's been accomplished. So one thing I think is worth reckoning with is the language in the Gospels of how Jesus kind of discusses his own death. So one would be a, a ransoming, this idea of liberation. Um, the, the other would be when he says, you know, the rule of this world is, is about to be cast out. So you see in some of Jesus' understanding and in the New Testament, this idea of kingdom of darkness, kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's breaking in, Satan's being cast out. So there's this idea of powers at war and Christ is victorious. So you get this language of what's called Christus Victor, that in the death, in the incarnation, death and resurrection of Jesus, the powers of sin and death are overcome. But Dan, you had, uh, you were talking about the language of in Christ, which kind of fits with another atonement model called recapitulation, but it's much better to describe it in your terms than recapitulation. (laughs) Yes, I think particularly when you read the letters of Paul, I think what you're what you'd um, recognise is that there's a one of the main ways, if not the main way, that Paul refers to Christians is those who are in Christ. And um, I think where we perhaps sometimes sometimes go wrong is I think we end up we can end up having a very very metaphorical view of that as if it's a picture for something Um, but the real deal is actually that Jesus took the punishment and therefore we get a kind of we get let off the hook and I think Paul would go much further than that and see that actually our union with Christ um, is a is a very real thing that we are united um, in in some way, he doesn't necessarily go into the mechanics. Uh, we wish he could, um, but he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily talk about the mechanics of the, of what's being united with Christ 
looks like in terms of like are there atoms that are connected or so on is it a purely spiritual thing or but um, there's a very real nature to it and i think that's clear from paul's letters and i think this this touches on what what joe referred to as the the um the recapitulation idea of the atonement so if we take romans 6 for example paul talks about the fact that in baptism uh, we um, were buried, we, we were baptized into Christ's death, we were buried with him, and so that just as Christ was raised uh, from the dead um, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And I think one of the ways that Paul thinks of the atonement, and perhaps one of the, one of the controlling ways in his mind, is that by, through union with Christ, what has happened to Christ becomes true of us. And so just as Christ died and rose again from the dead, by being united with him through faith and repentance and baptism, we are united in his death and in his resurrection in some way that we can't explain in a very modern scientific age. We participate in Christ's death and resurrection when we are united with him by faith and repentance and baptism. And um, I think that that is a really important way of thinking about um, both the, the cross, but also the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that I do think that because we live in a very scientific, mechanical, we want to understand the ins and outs at a very physical level, I think we often struggle with this idea of union with Christ being a real, tangible, um, substantive thing. But I think Paul sees it very much as a real thing, because otherwise, otherwise it doesn't work. If it's not real then saying that we've died with Christ and been raised to new life, you kind of think, well, it's a nice metaphor, but does that actually make any difference? And I think Paul would say it does because something has actually happened to you through faith, baptism, repentance in Christ. Yeah, so so the truth that, that Jesus' death means that my sins get forgiven is outstanding. Um, but it's one facet of the jewel. Uh, and if we only focus on that, then we miss the the glorious reality of me being now united with Christ, of of his um, his resurrection being the template for my own resurrection to come. Mm. Of the fact that he has, you know, the problem of evil, the fact that God has dealt with evil, um, but hasn't yet finished the process. Um, but it's not a question of will God deal with the evil in the world, just when. And and the cross and resurrection gives us the the pointer towards that. I think it's interesting you, you say that, Simeon, that I think of my, my dad and discussions with him and when he was growing up, they talked about a kind of salvation decision and then a lordship decision. So yeah, you become a Christian and then maybe a couple of months later to a year later, you might decide, actually, I need to, well, I want to obey Christ. And I, I wonder whether that is a slight symptom of the gospel being primarily put in terms of penal substitution, re-atonement. So you've dealt with your, your sin and you've been forgiven, but the, the model doesn't take you beyond that. While models like Christus Victor, you know, Christ has overcome sin or recapitulation, you die with Christ and resurrected with Christ, they almost lead beyond just being reconciled with God through to and God's desires that we would live for him, look like him, become like Christ. I think there's some of the atonement models we've discussed, I think, feel fuller. And that's not to denigrate penal substitution and atonement, but to recognize that if we only have one, we are going to miss out on the fullness of New Testament teaching. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you, Joe. Well, for much more on this, listen to the full length podcast. But for now, it's bye from me and goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.